Hi everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here. I'm so excited to be sharing this wonderful, wonderful message, this incredible man here, which I have been hearing about for a number of years. And it's wonderful to be in the beauty industry because you hear about these iconic leaders and mentors and heroes uh, who are just doing their work but they're not just doing it for themselves. They are spreading that and they're mentoring others and they're thrilled with their success and they want to share that with other people. And that's what today is going to be all about. And I know that there are a lot of listeners here who have nothing to do with the beauty industry, but you love stories from the beauty industry. Uh, And this is not just a story from the beauty industry. This is also a story from the entertainment industry. And so I know that you're going to enjoy this because this wonderful man, Michael White, truly is not only super successful at what he does, but again, the fact that he wants to turn around and share that success to mentor the next generation is truly what makes him iconic. So first of all, Michael, before I share with everybody a bit more information about who you are, thank you so, so much for being here today and for agreeing to do this. It's my pleasure. So I'm going to read this. In the captivating world of Hollywood glamour and cinema, few names shine as brightly as Michael White's. A master of hairstyling, Michael has weaved his artistic magic on the tresses of some of the entertainment industry's most iconic stars to include stars like Brad Pitt, Ryan Gosling, Salma Hayek, Renee Zellweger, Jim Carrey, Hugh Jackman, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, that list just goes on and on. Uh, His contributions to the Mission Impossible series, we're going to talk about that. And Rice's interview with the vampire and so much more. Michael earned a BAFTA Award nomination for Best Hairstyling in a Motion Picture for his work on the Oscar-winning film Milk, as well as a nomination for the Hollywood Makeup Artist and Hairstyling Guild Award for Best Period Hairstyling in Television for Purgatory. So, Michael, by the way, when you sent me your bio, I, I, of course, read all of it. And we could just spend the entire time sharing with our listeners everything that you have accomplished. But, you know, looking back at your career, and, and that was a very short synopsis of what you have accomplished. But how does that make you feel to hear all of that? The story that you just told about me, as you were speaking, I was listening and thinking about it. And I really have to say that the industry as a hairstylist and a haircutter and a educator and also being successful in film and television has given me incredible self-satisfaction and uh, self-gratification. And if I receive a little recognition, it puts a smile on my face. (laughs) That's awesome. And you're a dad too, by the way, right? I'm a husband and a father. I have a beautiful wife, uh, Sherry, and my two beautiful children, Hudson and Harper, who are 11 and 9, that I'm so blessed to have. And I'm an older father. And uh, my life now is about wisdom because I spent so much time reading to gain the knowledge. I want to jump into this. You entered this industry primarily because of your dad. So tell us a little bit about your dad. I think your uncle also was in the beauty industry and in the entertainment industry as well, doing hair. Uh, Yes, both my father and my uncle uh, were hairstylists. Uh, They came over from Europe and my great uncle and my great aunt were hairstylists in Vienna. And my father was inspired to be able to go to beauty school. And my uncle, his brother-in-law, decided to join him. They both became salon owners. My uncle had a salon in a city called Woodland Hills in the San Fernando Valley. And my father uh, had a salon in Encino on Ventura Boulevard and one in Beverly Hills on Robertson. And basically, when I came out of my mother's womb, I was handed a comb. (laughs) So did you grow up in your father's salon? Was that where you went after school to maybe do homework or to sweep floors? Or was that just part of your upbringing? I was taught that you weren't handed anything in life. You had to earn it or you had to work for it in a way 
that it would teach you a lesson in ethics of how you should be as you grow up. And from the age of six years old, I was able to pick up in salons. They sometimes have the little brooms that are used to get the hairs around the base of the chair. And I used to go around with that broom and sweep up everybody's station after school. And uh, if I made 50 cents, it was a great day. And I would double time. I would ride my bike or run over because the distance was close enough to continue in my uncle's salon. And when my friends were uh, going out to play ball, which I was involved in sports and everything, but when they would go play with things at home that would build maybe like what we have today, Jenga, with the blocks, I would be in the salon with a head on a wig stand and I'd be playing around with rollers. (laughs) So I found a fascination with how you can take uh, hair and shape it in a direction that you would like it to go, create a shape that you would like to see. And if you cut it, it did something else. So it really fascinated me. So what was your father's career? So he owned a salon and he was a hairdresser. Did he also do hair in the entertainment industry and in the Hollywood industry? He was involved in the Hollywood industry as basically he was best friends with Harry Blake, who ran makeup and hair for NBC Studios. And in those times, you could be permitted, which means you were allowed to work on a studio or on a TV stage or lot. So my father had clients like Anne Margaret, uh, Ned Funicello, um, uh, Victoria Shaw, I can go on. And uh, when they were on The Tonight Show, or they would have uh, guest parts on different shows, my father would go in and do their hair. Wow. Well, that's nice legacy to have right and there. And my uncle also. They both kind of shared that uh, same avenue. So when you started off in your career, was it specifically to be a hairdresser working in a salon? Or did you already, because of your father and your uncle's influence in, in Hollywood, did you already have the intention that, yeah, I'm going to do hair, but I really want to do hair in the entertainment industry? No, I graduated high school. There were really only two schools you could go to in Los Angeles, and that was Newberry and Marinella's. But there was a beauty school in Beverly Hills called Charles Ross, and it was owned by this gentleman who had a salon in Beverly Hills, very successful, called The Establishment. And I went to go check it out and see what the information was. There was a two-year waiting list. And I went home to my dad and I said, you know, I would love to do this. I would love to be behind a chair like you. I was not thinking of television or film. And I was more on the imagination or a dream of having a salon because of what I got to see as a child or as a young adult. And um, my father said, at the end of the day, I'll meet you. And I came from school. I did a little bit around the salon. And we went over to Beverly Hills, and he introduced me to Charles Ross. And during the discussion, I said, uh, I'd like to ask you if there's any possible way you could move me up on the list, as I am very excited and uh, wanting to get my feet wet immediately. And he looked at me, and he looked at my dad. And he said, your father has been a very good friend. He's been a very good mentor. And uh, I'll meet you there tomorrow morning. Wow. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And it was the type of beauty school that you couldn't miss a day. Uh, I was out, I believe, in nine months, 1,600 hours. Right. And on my license, basically, it was the first of the year of January, And uh, I was ready to uh, get going. Wow. So I know that you have quotes and metaphors that you were exposed to, maybe from your father or from other mentors, which you carry with you. These have become valuable tools for you in communicating and educating. Can you tell us about that? Well, I 
have had a tradition that at being around people, as people come to hear you speak, I have been very fortunate to be around people that are listened to and looked up to, they're read about, and people maybe follow what they inspire them in. And I would write down every day a quote that I heard that inspired me or touched me emotionally, passionately, and something that I knew down the line I could share with somebody. Before we get into learning more about doing hair and makeup, working within the entertainment industry in Hollywood, I'm, I'm just curious to know more about your, your past and who are the most influential people in your life starting way back then and to the present day. Uh, the most influential people in my life were, of course, my father and my mother. I had a very successful uh, uncle who uh, taught me that every defeat is an experience to success, and a winner could be a loser who must try one more time. And I learned by them not to ever give up. And from the hairdressers of that used to work for my father as John Peters, uh, Alan Edwards, and other successful people that in those days were the go-tos, they inspired me. But Vidal Sassoon was someone who I really wanted to be able to say that he took me under his wing or his group allowed me to join their team. Isn't that incredible? How many people name Vidal Sassoon? The man Vidal Sassoon, not just the company, but the man Vidal Sassoon, the influence that that one man had uh, in the lives of so many people is profound. It's, it's huge. I was fortunate enough to know Vidal and to spend a lot of time with him. I'm still in touch. I was actually texting this morning with his daughter, Eden Sassoon. I, she's still a, a very good friend, and I, I love my interaction with her. But man, that man had such a huge impact on so many people. You know, I learned from him as one of uh, the things that was one of my greatest uh, lessons in this business was that he told me one day that if you see somebody without a smile, give them yours. <laughs> That's great. So let's get into your career. So, so you graduate, you're working in a salon, and then all of a sudden there's your first opportunity for doing hair within the Hollywood entertainment industry. Tell us about that first experience. I had a strong clientele. I had musicians. I had actresses. I was taking care of Sally Fields and other people in the business. So these were people who were coming to the salon for their services? Coming into the salon for their services. My dad was taking me on weekends to show me locations that he thought a salon would be right for me. And then one day during this period, I got a phone call from a producer who asked me if I would come in and perm Sally Fields and do her hair and come in every few weeks to keep up the style. And uh, I got on a plane and I went there. I fulfilled my commitment. And when I came home and my dad said, let's go look, I said, you know something, dad, I've changed my mind. I said, I just caught a bug. <laughs> it was film and television. And I knew the minute I felt that energy and the passion that people put into making a film or putting together a TV show is uh, an incredible amount of love and effort. And I knew it was my calling. And that was the day that I said, this is what I'm going to do. So did you stay in the salon or did you leave the salon? And I'm also curious to know, what does that feel like? Because you're going from working on uh, multiple people in the course of a day, could be 10, 12 clients that are coming to the salon. And now you're going from that to basically working on one person's hair, such as a Sally Field? Well, I was very fortunate that I got a phone call 
Um, I was starting to do music videos. Suddenly, this uh, station, cable station called MTV, came on the air, and it said, I want my MTV. And a lot of the musicians that I had gotten to know or that were my clients asked me to do their music videos. So that was my uh, step into knowing how to navigate around a set. But you have to tell us who were those <laughs> musicians. Uh, well, I grew up with the Jackson Five. Okay. In Encino. And what do you mean? How did you grow up with them? They were they were neighbors, or you knew them through your dad, or I went to school with uh, Marlon and Jermaine until their eleventh uh, or twelfth grade, where they went to private school, and um, they used to hang out at my house. We used to hang out and play basketball at their house, while Michael used to sit there watching us uh, writing music. You know, writing lyrics. And you were pulled in to do hair for their music videos? For one of their music videos and one of their albums, which was called The Jacksons. They're all sitting there with big froze. I can close my eyes and see it. And um, I was very fortunate that when Rick Baker did Thriller, that I was invited to be a runner, apprentice. Uh, Can you get me that? Can you get me this? whether it was coffee or supplies or whatever. So that was kind of my introduction. Wow. What, what other musicians did you work with doing your, your MTV videos? Uh, Pat Benatar, uh, wow. Toto, uh, Bette Midler. I can go on. I mean, it's kind of endless in a weird way. That's great. So from music videos which I'm assuming that's a a short period of time of when they're filming that. Did you then go into full feature films or was that backstage at at television shows? Tell us where that then took you in your career. Well, I started to meet a lot of people. And as we do in our business, I would hand them my card and this producer started coming to me as my client. And one day I got a phone call and I talk about a lot about serendipity and synchronicity and the blessing of timing in life. And I got asked to go take care of a young, beautiful actress that was in the business on a big film. And I said, I'm available and I would love the opportunity. And I got on a plane to Mexico City. And when I came in in the morning to the meet and greet, it was Sharon Stone. Oh, you didn't know prior to going? You had no idea who you were going to be working on? No. Was so that for All I was told, it was a young, beautiful, upcoming actress that was going to be a big, iconic uh, success. What uh, was the name of the film? Uh, the first uh, uh, Total Recall. Okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Rachel Ticketon. Wow. So, and how long were you on that set working? Five months in Mexico City. So you were five months in Mexico City. And did you only work on Sharon Stone or did you work on other? I did Sharon and Rachel. Okay. So what does that look like? Uh, five months and you're doing two people's hair. So does that is that a, a full eight-hour day on set and you're just sitting and waiting and waiting until they need you? I mean, what does that day look like for you? Well, the day starts early. Our average days are 14 to 16 hours. Our weeks will sometimes be between 80 and 92 hours. I know that's a weird ending number, but that's usually what it is. And uh, it takes an hour and a half to two hours for a actress to, like Sharon to go through hair and makeup. Uh, same with Rachel. So hair gets done, goes to makeup. Makeup gets done, goes to hair. Now, during the day, you might have five scenes that take place on three different days in the script. So those are five changes, or they might be only three changes, depending on what goes on in the story. Does she walk into the room? Is it the morning? Does she get dressed? Suddenly is is her hair, you know, ponied up or, you know, a morning sexy hair. And then when you see her uh, walking into 
the undercover world that she was in. She had on this great business suit and I created her look with bendies and a diffuser. So uh, some days I had a lot of changes. So the trick was you can't go back and shampoo their hair. You had to learn how to, with a tool, uh, change the texture and to be able to use product that you could either reactivate or be able to brush out. And, and how much of that was dictated to you? Was there somebody on set, a creative director or somebody that came to you and said, okay, Michael, this is exactly what you're going to do? Or was it a collaborative effort where they said, here, read the script, here's the scene. Michael, what are your ideas on, on how you're going to do Sharon's hair for this scene? Well, before the movie starts, you read the script. You have what's called a beat and greet with the director. You go through the script and the breakdowns of the days with the director, and you collaborate on how you feel. Would it be upscale? Would it be downscale? Would the hair be up? Would it be down? Is it an exterior? Is it an interior? And that's where your notes would come. And then you have your camera and makeup tests for every outfit she'll be in. So you're establishing her look. And visually, I have to bring that style to life. And when that actress walks on uh, stage for her camera test, that the director goes, wow, that, that's what I was looking for. That's my look. Wow. So you have said hair becomes a canvas for storytelling, a visual representation of characters, complexities, and journeys. I like that. Very much so. Um, you can be on a film that takes a journey through someone's life. It can start at a high and end up at a bottom. You could take a journey through fantasy. You can take a journey through period parts of our past, uh, 17th century and 19th century, 20th century. And you're basically the actor is portraying a character which they've interpreted and which is the director's vision. And you have to bring that vision to life. And it sometimes can be distressed and it sometimes can be happy. Where did you learn all of that? First of all, the, the TV show Purgatory, I'm not familiar with that, but you were nominated for a hairstylist guild award for best period hairstyling. So what period? Uh, that was a Western. Okay. Taking place in the post-Civil War, late, maybe 1870s, late 1860s into the 1870s. And when you're awarded a nomination or an award, uh, it has to do with, in a period, how period correct you are. Um, if your styles are so on point, and when you go ahead and you look through a illustrated book that shows historical pictures, that uh, what you saw on the Western that I did at that time, that we were point on. And that's where the recognition comes. And so where do you do your research for something like that? Well... In those days, there was no internet. There was no Google. You had to go to a source, which was the library. And you had to research. When I did, uh, which you had talked about my experience of being part of an uh, interview with the vampire from Anne Rice's novel, I went to the art museum, uh, the L.A. Art Museum, I went to other museums um, in other cities with the makeup and special effects people. And we researched paintings from that period. And that's where we got the hairstyles. Uh, though we had to tell the story of what Anne Rice had dictated uh, her characters to be, but if you look at everything around them, it was part of that century. Wow. 
So in those days, you had to go to the library or you had to go to a museum. So what has been some of your more challenging opportunities? I would say to age somebody. So give us a, a story here. I did a movie with Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst called All Good Things. Um, and he played Robert Durst. And we had to show him at 81 years old. And I worked alongside a fantastic award-winning prosthetic designer and makeup artist named Michael Marino. And he does everything from the hairline down. I'm responsible for everything from the hairline back. So at that time, Photoshop had come into play. And you were able to interact with the Photoshop to take, let's say, a hair, men's hairstyle and start to age it, thin it out, and create what you wanted the wig maker to make. And that's what went on uh, Ryan's head after all the makeup and prosthetics were completed. Wow. So I'm fascinated as you go from from one film to another film, from one job to another job. These stories are, are wonderful. And I'm, I know that you have a strong desire to give back and to train that next generation. And I, I've heard that this next generation can be called the microwave generation, where they, they want things instantly. So they watch one YouTube video on makeup and think that Warner Brothers should call them for their next feature film. <laughs> And uh, it obviously it takes so much more than that and takes a lot of work. And I, I'm just curious to know, um, how do you influence and advise someone who is new in our industry who maybe wants to pursue a career in the film and TV industry? Well, I get contacted during the week, uh, all through the year, by young people that have gotten their cosmetology license. To do hair in movie and television, you have to have a cosmetology license. To do makeup, there's no license. Uh, an esthetician's license, you don't have to have to do makeup. So the hairdressers come out of beauty school, and they want to skip everything. As you said, instant gratification. They'll walk in, in a sense, in their mind and say, I can do that where when they contact me, they are asking me if I would make them part of my list when I decide who I'm going to hire on my crew. And I always offer one or two individuals that catch my attention that I will bring on in a role of maybe a fifth hairdresser or a sixth hairdresser, we call them additionals, and I know that they're willing to throw away everything that has been put into their head. I write on a piece of paper, ego. I fold it up as it was done for me one day, and I tell them to put it in their back pocket and sit on it. <laughs> and they laugh. Well, why, why, why that specific lesson? because that's the thing that will get you in trouble. There's no experts uh, in this business. There are people that have experience and talent, but you always have to keep learning and keep up with what's going on. So if you're going to take people under your wing to mentor them and show them the things that I've spoken about shortly, and not in really long detail, I have to be able that they're ready to have a blank piece of paper to absorb it and not feel that there is nothing to it. It took me a long time uh, to be good at what I do. And it took my mentors to teach me that it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. And, you know, that's where I got the feeling that creativity is intelligence, having fun. So when I find these people that are ready to take on that journey, 
I will walk them along. I will show them everything I know, everything I have. And I have had people through my career that have been that person. And today they are competing for the same job that I would hopefully be getting. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I have a friend who's a very successful makeup artist and and she is that loud person and I don't mean that in a bad way. I when she walks into a room, she's got really big bright red hair and she's bigger than life and she walks in and everybody knows that she's there and she fills that room and it creates fun and energy, but she tells me that when she then goes on to a set that she tones herself down. Her hair is not as big. Her makeup is not as vibrant. Her personality, she, she kind of dims herself uh, to be able to fit into that environment. Does that kind of resonate with you? Uh, yes, it does. I've worked with incredible personalities. I have been gifted in life that my DNA has produced a big smile, a lot of life. I can uh, bring it into a room. Uh, no different than this makeup artist that you're talking about. When you go on a set, it's a quiet place because people are acting. It's not about you. It's about what's in front of the camera. That's why they yell quiet on the set. Hmm. Well, I like what you said earlier, that the role that you play is to serve. Yes. It's a service business. I mean, I was taught that by Vidal. Yeah, I was taught that by Jerry Cosenza. Um, some of the Love people in the audience don't know that. But I work in a salon now. And when my client comes in, to me, the most important thing is that consultation, that meet and greet, uh, making them feel important, making them understand I'm here for you. In the movie and film industry, My success came from the mentors that taught me that your work will speak for itself. If you're gifted with a wonderful personality, people will love you. So you said something earlier that you're looking for people who will catch your attention. And those are the ones that you give the opportunity to perhaps join a team as a support. What is it about them that catches your attention? This might sound... uh, a little out there, but I picked up a few times in my life a bird that's fallen out of a nest. And I don't leave the bird on the ground. I put the bird back in the nest. And I find that sometimes I get these incredibly quiet, shy people that have been told by other people that you'll never make it. You don't have the personality. They've never seen the talent, but they're Uh, Ego tells them that they're not talented. Matter of fact, I think some people get pleasure from it. And um, I love the innocence. I have the ability from being born into what I do and being taught by incredible people, some still with us, some that aren't, that you'll know when you've met somebody that, you know, has the ability Uh, has the work skills, the temperament, just by talking to them. They just need to be taught. I can't pick everybody. I don't have that ability because there's only one of me. I try to teach the people that I've mentored that you have to be able to take on the individuals who you feel in the future you will look back and be proud of. I have made sometimes a decision that I had to correct. And that's where I came up with my saying, that's why pencils have erasers. (laughs) That's great. You know, no one's perfect. I I, I can't say that, you know, I learned to keep my mouth and ears open, my mouth shut and judge as little as possible. But I do have the instinct to... um, admire anybody that is naturally gifted. And I think in our business, when you're able to find that, and I've had people that I've had to work harder at to teach, and once they get it, they're 
so incredibly talented and so gifted. It just took patience and kindness to spend a little extra effort to uh, show them the way or show them how. It's very old school. What do you mean it's, it's, it's old school? Old school in that they want it instantly rather than old school means you have to have the patience and work hard and, and, and that diligence. What do you mean by that? Well, in the beginning, you said there's this generation that goes, walks in and thinks they're ready to do everything and instant success. I can run this, all this stuff. In the old school, I came up through the apprentice program. I washed toilets. I cleaned the floors. I washed the robes. And when I proved that I that I would do anything to be part of this, I got to move into the, they called it the trichology area, where which was shampoo, color, and perms. And then from there, you got to do uh, hold a comb. And then you were permitted to be in the classes. And you started with a lot of people, but you only ended up with, there was one or two of you. Wow. And that's when someone used to say to me, I knew you would always be one of those people. And as I was taught by those people how to find what you're looking for to be able to pass your gift on, which when I'm not here, I hope they continue on with the way I've shown them, which is how wonderful of a business and industry we have in film or television or the salon. They all intertwine into one another. So what is the best advice that you have for, let's say it's a brand new person entering the beauty industry and and this is what they want to do. They would love to do hair or makeup within the entertainment industry. You talk about the skill sets, the work temperament, the education that they need in styling. What is the best advice to to help people get on the journey? They have to reach out. It's very easy on social media today to find whoever you need to get in touch with. Too many people I still believe are fearful of approaching somebody. I've had people tell me I was so afraid to call you or so afraid to leave a post or ask you to contact me or could I contact you? And uh, I kind of have tried to welcome or open up the doors to have people do it that way, to not have fear. I always have heard the stories that this person wouldn't talk to me. How do I get my foot in the door? How do I apply for that job? And you have to be able to reach out. I've had young people that have seen a movie and saw my name and then looked me up and then went on, became my friend, followed me and left me a message. And I've always been the person to take that moment out. I always return an email. I always return a text. I'm sometimes what what we call a trigger finger. I do it quickly. I let people know that I will talk to them. And um, uh, sometimes in their life, they're going to learn the lesson that no is a complete sentence, but somewhere you're going to hear yes. And that's what you have to strive for. Um, Curious. I know that you have a, a big heart, that you love this industry. You love making a difference. So how do you give back on a daily basis to the professional beauty industry? I motivate. I try to share. I try to be someone's flashlight. I, I try to direct people to who I know uh, are the people that can be a benefit to your knowledge which, as we know, will become your wisdom. Uh, There's incredible speakers and motivators and people that are able to turn on the light for your idea. And that is someone like you. You have the magic. I've seen the excitement 
that you bring people their level up to. And I get from people like you and other people that have taught me that I can direct people to where they can find that light and find that inspiration. I feel that so many people are told that they can't do it. They might have a physical disability. Believe it or not, I work with somebody who cuts hair and she had diabetes and lost 90% of her eyesight and she cuts hair. Wow. Wow. And I'm trying to get her to share her story and to get out there and speak to the kids that want to do what she does or have been a hairdresser and maybe have lost their vision but still can see a little bit. And I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people cut hair that have a uh, prosthetic uh, hand. I believe that in this world and in this time, there's no no in anybody's vocabulary. There's no walls anymore. I think people have the opportunity now to live their dream. If they want to be a hairdresser, they want to be a hair cutter, they want to do film, they want to do television, no matter what their sensitivity is to why they've been told they can't do it, that I look to find those people that I can motivate to tell them they can. That's awesome. Good for you. I I really believe that. I work with somebody right now who, if you covered your left eye and put your right hand in like a little circle and put it over your right eye, that's as much as she can see. Wow. Wow. And she's a beautiful hairdresser. She does incredible styles, incredible haircutting. And I sit behind her and watch her. And it's magic. And haircutting sometimes and hairstyling is a lot by feel and touch. We know that. And when you witness it yourself with someone who has a disability that has learned to navigate through that, I try to find those people out there that have been told they can't do it. And my mission right now is to find people that have had doors shut in their face or they don't know how to do it and or they have been told they can't do it because of something and they have incredible talent. Wow. And they should be where I am. They should be where other people are. And I've been looking for those people. That's wonderful. Thanks for that. So you and I were connected by our dear friend, Deborah Dietrich. And uh, she said, when you need to meet Michael, uh, he's got a great story, a great career. And then she reminded me or she told me about her five interviews with you before you eventually hired her for the the film Milk. So you you, you put her through the process, right? Right. Right. If anybody out there doesn't know Deborah Dietrich, she's a great representation of everything that success stands for, everything that hard work and passion stands for, everything that love and giving and sharing stands for. If you looked up in a dictionary selfish, you wouldn't see her picture. She's beyond giving. And when she came into me, I had to hire local in San Francisco. And I was so overtaken by her personality, but kind of thrown back by her limit of experience. And people were being thrown at me that had experience. And when I went home and thought about it, every night I kind of look up at the ceiling and I go through my day and think about the people I remember, or I try to remember everything, and uh, I remembered her, and I brought her back for a second and a third time. That was before I even asked her to do a hairstyle. And I was doing something one day when she came in, and I dropped the clip, and she handed it to me, and I said, can you hold this for me? And I saw how her hands touched 
the wig I was working with. And I hired her the next day. Well, <laughs> that's great. Well, we love Deborah. I didn't earn my BAFTA nomination alone. I got that nomination because I was the department head. I have people in my group that I had 12 people on my last film. I just uh, wrapped on June 28th. I had a big crew. We had to stop because of the strike. I had about three or four of them that only had one film or two under their belt. But the others that are, I call my core group that I delegate out to do actors or people that I know they would have a good fit with is that I surround myself with people that are as good as I am or better. And the people that I work with all teach me every day the things that they know. And my whole world of what I bring to you on a film is that we all share. And if someone has an ability to do something that someone hasn't seen yet, that one day when we're not working or we finish, that I put together everybody in a group and they teach us. What a great approach. Yeah. Compared to the opposite of that, which is where you don't want to hire people or surround yourself with people who are better than you are because people feel threatened by that. Oh, I love it. And if that's how we're approaching it, that means we're going backwards. That means if I'm hiring somebody who's less talented or less experienced than I am, and then they're going to hire somebody who's less talented and experienced than they are, we're just going backwards here. So that's a great approach. Thanks for sharing well, that message. Uh, you know this because you interviewed Vidal. Vidal was a great hair cutter in London and New York and in San Francisco. When I worked at Vidal's salon, it was on Rodeo Drive above a clothing store called Theodore's. And he used to come in one or two days a week and cut. His wife, Beverly, would come in, who used to be like the poster child of his look or what he was kind of wanting to put out there. He came up with the line, shake it, baby, shake it. But he surrounded himself with the most incredible talent, Christopher Brooker, Lee Tanaka, Sally and Henry Abel. I can go on. And, you know, he had that philosophy. He was good at what he did. He was one of the best, but he found people as good as him or that were even better. But their ego was in their back pocket. It was more about being in the presence of Vidal because he was so inspiring that, you know, the recognition of being included in his in his story or in his uh, platform uh, was just a, a phenomenal feeling. What a great story. Yeah. I mean, you know that. You spoke with him. Yeah, he was a beautiful man. And, and he, he stopped cutting hair a long, long time before his career so-called ended. Not that his career ever ended, but he didn't cut hair for, for many, many, many years towards the end there. And yet he was even more <laughs> profoundly successful and notable and influential uh, because of all the other stuff that you're talking about. Surrounding himself with super talented people, no ego. When I was with Vidal Sassoon, there could have been a thousand people in the room all tugging at him, wanting to get his attention, but he was focused only on the person in front of him. Yeah, and you knew he was talking to you. Yep. He wasn't looking through you. And um, I try to be as transparent and present with everybody as I possibly can, because uh, honesty is a gift. And to be able to be truthful and be liked for who you are and what you are is a blessing in life. And when you talk about legacy, uh, I, that's what I try to pass on. That when I'm gone, like my uh, dad said before he passed away, he looked at me and he said, I hope I'm there to tell you how it was. So I never will know if I get to look back at everybody from somewhere else 
that we supposedly go to. And I'm a very spiritual person. So wow. there's something greater than us that's out there. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Well, to wrap things up, you have a final message for our, our listeners? Um, may your coming year be filled with magic and dreams and good madness. I hope you read some fine books and kiss someone who thinks you're wonderful. And don't forget to make some art, write or draw, or build or sing, or live as you only can. And I hope somewhere in the next year, you surprise yourself. <laughs> That's great. And it was, it's a quote from N. Gaiman, G-A-I-M-A-N. And I kind of, uh, I print out all my sayings and I give it to my crew, the new ones that uh, join us along the way. Um, and I give it to the ones that, in a sense, go on to do their own thing because it's their time to fly away. And if I would leave everybody with one last thought, anxiousness is contagious, but so is calm. <laughs> that is great. I have to tell you, I think maybe I can be that person. People say that I make coffee nervous. So I, I can be a, that person that, that rivals people up and not always in a good way. I think people sometimes are like, I like when, but in small doses. Not sure that I bring the calm. And you certainly have brought that calm today. And I, I, I appreciate that. I see the true value in that. So thank you, Michael. And you inspire me. Uh, you're a leader. And uh, I only can say that you uh, pass that on to your daughter. I'm sure you have a beautiful life at home. You shared with me that you get up in the morning to be part of her life and you get home in time to be part of her life. Yeah. And yeah. it's a beautiful thing. Life is sweet. Yes. We're very blessed, Wynn. Yeah, we are. We are. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm, I'm just so, so grateful. It's a pleasure to get to know you. Yeah, and I hope we have uh, our time where we'll look at each other personally. <laughs> That'd be great. And by the way, uh, be prepared for uh, getting bombarded here. Since you opened that door, <laughs> made yourself available, be prepared. You're going to hear from a lot of new hairdressers who want to enter that industry as well. So thank you. You know, in front of my feet right now is a welcome mat. Okay. <laughs> beautiful. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Have a beautiful day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.